you for tuning in to the New Vision Podcast. Our prayer is that this talk builds your faith, brings clarity, and gives you hope. Enjoy the message. So I said before, when I came up here with all my stuff, um, I'm a teacher uh, by trade. Um, I, I went to school. Um, some of you guys know this. Um, some of us have known each other for longer. Some of us have, were in like a 10-month relationship at this point which has been incredible. Um, but I went to UMKC. I graduated with a degree in uh, middle school education with an emphasis in math. Why? <laughs> this, is, I, this is what happens to me a lot. I, you say that, and then I can't really, it's the lights, I can't really see your face. But I'm sure that some of you are like, why would you do that? <laughs> like middle schoolers? Like I have one, and she's fantastic, um, but not all of her friends are. <laughs> like not her friends personally, but just people like her. Um, they, they're, they're at this point in their life, and maybe you've had some at some point, um, there's extra hormones and attitudes and just stuff that's, like, working against us. And then you throw, like, math in there, and, like, for the most part, whether you're 12 or, or 62 or whatever, like, people just don't like math. And so why I would choose to go into this field of education, specifically in math and specifically with 12-year-olds, it's a really good question. I'm, I'm, we're, I'm still working that out with Jesus um, sometimes because some days are wonderful and some days are not so much. Um, but in college, so I took like, without really counting, like 11 math classes in college. I think the highest level, thankfully the highest level that I had to do for my degree was uh, like Calc 1, which I'll never have to teach to a 12-year-old. So why I had to take it, I don't know. Um, but I took a lot of math classes. And there was one instructor in particular that I had that I remember and not so much him. Honestly, I couldn't pick him out in a crowd, maybe. I could pick his name off of a list. I would remember his name if I saw it, but I remember this one day in class. So we, we, we were probably three or four weeks into the semester. We'd had classes where I'd come in, you know, you take notes, and we had classes where you come in and you take a quiz, but this was like t test day. And in college, if you've ever been there, um, on exam day, like this is a day in each class that like once you get past that first exam or you turn in that first paper and you see how the teacher grades, like it kind of sets the tone for the rest of the semester. So I'm like, I'm anxious, I'm ready, like okay, here it is. So I get, the, the teacher passes out the papers. Everybody gets theirs, and so I'm sitting down, and I'm looking, I got my paper, you know, you write your name on it, that's what you do first, hopefully. Uh, Alexa, make sure you write your name on your paper, that's real annoying for teachers when you don't. Um, so you write your name on your paper, and you're like, if we're counting, you do the scan, like the, the scan, like, okay, what's this all about, what's on here, I think I got it. And then I'm looking, and I'm like, okay, I think that something's, something's weird, like something's wrong. So you kind of have, you know, your peripheral vision. It's a really bright room. It's with white walls. And so I'm noticing out of my peripheral, like, everyone's heads are starting to raise. Like, what is going on? This is really weird. Like, I wonder if they're seeing what I'm seeing. Um, and they're looking around, but no one's saying anything. We're just all like, what? Like, this is weird. Um, and I honestly, I don't know. This, this, is what, this is what it was. On our test, there weren't just questions. There was, like, a question and then a space, and then the answers were there. Like on our exam, on my college exam, on a math test, there's the answer. I was like, okay, like did he pass out the wrong papers? Like is it too late? Am I, is this like a test of our integrity? Like I don't know, what do I do? Um, honestly, I don't, I don't really remember who said something first, whether it was one of us as classmates, whatever, or if it was the instructor. But eventually we got into this conversation um, where he was teaching us that math is not all just about the answer. 
right? It's not just about the question, the problem at the beginning, and the solution, the result at the end. Math is so much more than that. It's so much about the process and the details that are in the middle of that. Because details matter, right? Like this is where we learn. As a teacher, I teach my students, it's the kids that I have the opportunity to, to spit my knowledge on and hope that they remember it. Um, as a teacher, this is how, this is the process for how I teach them. So randomly, literally, I'm sitting on my bed, legs crossed, I got my stuff everywhere, I'm writing this. I was like, why, why am I, like, where'd this come from? Where is this, this is memory is, uh, probably at this point, I don't know, eight or nine years ago. But I thought about it for some reason, and I thought, okay, I'll try that. So what I want to do as I start this message this morning, I'm going to tell you the end of the story right now, at the very beginning. I'm going to tell you the end of the story, and there's a reason, is because I realized, and as I was thinking, that just like I learned that day in that classroom, that much of what we learn about Jesus and who he is and what he does and how he works, yeah, we know the beginning, and yes, we know the end, and we know that there is victory, and we know that there is life, and we know that there is eternity, but so much of what gets us through to that is in the details, right? Like, it's in the process. And so what I want to do is I'm going to go through this, um, this story. I'm going, to tell you the, I'm going to tell you the ending first. So spoiler alert, this is the story of Lazarus. Okay? If you've never heard of Lazarus, this is a story in like four statements. Lazarus is sick, he dies, Jesus comes, and he raises him to life. Okay? So if you've, if you've heard that story, you remember. If you haven't, that's the entire thing. Okay? Yay, Jesus. Great story. Awesome miracle. It, is, it really is. I'm, I, I make light of that because I'm funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> But it really, it really is a great story, but there is so much more to that miracle. There's so many things that we find in the details of the story of Lazarus. So I wanted to go ahead and get the end of it out, because the answer, it's not just about the end. It's not just about Lazarus coming back from the dead. It's what, what happens in the process of this story. So we're going to look at a couple details. We're going to look at three things, which, as you can already see, is really difficult in a, in a story of 44 verses. I had to pick Three things, which for me is hard because I'm really detail-oriented, math person, and um, I'm really long-winded. <laughs> Sorry. So, I, but I did my best. I, I picked three things, and I did my best this week to keep this as clear and concise and straight to the point as possible. So here we go. We're going to be reading, turning your Bibles to John chapter 11. We're going to start reading with verses 1. Uh, we're going to read down to verse 6. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother, was, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who later poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through him. Now Jesus loved Mary and Martha, loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. So we read from the very beginning of this story that Mary and Martha have a problem. Okay, they have a problem. There's a situation. They have an issue. They have a problem. But they also have history with Jesus. 
So Jesus, prior to this, Jesus would come to their house, and he would spend time with them. He would sleep in their house, and he would eat their food. They have history. And you, because from that history, we know that they have relationship. And I know that they have some kind of relationship because you don't really just let anyone come into your house and sleep in your bed or couch or floor and eat your food. Like, that comes from relationship. So we know that they had relationship. And out of that relationship came this sense of confidence that they had, came this sense of confidence that if they took their need to Jesus, that he has the ability to do something about it. Like, they knew that. And I believe that their sense of confidence came from their knowledge of his love. How do I know that? Because in verse 3, if you look at back at verse 3, the only words that the sisters sent in this letter, this note to Jesus, was the one you love is sick. That's all it said. The one you love is sick. The one you love is sick. This is where it gets really interesting and probably confusing if we're really honest that Jesus stayed where he was for two more days. This is their friend. The one that Jesus loved, but he stayed where he was for two more days. Have you ever brought a need to Jesus? I'm sure you have. So this is kind of a rhetorical question. But have you ever brought a need to Jesus and felt like he stayed where he was for two more days? Or two more weeks? Or two more months? Or two more years? Or 20 more years? Or however long that you've been waiting? And this is the part that's really, really hard for us to understand. Because we think that when we take our need to Jesus, okay, Jesus, we're acknowledging this situation. But we also think that we, we know what it is that he should do. And we know how he should do it. And we know when he should do it. But when he doesn't, then we're like, come on. Like, if I can figure this out, Jesus, surely you can figure this out. But this is where we struggle when he's gone silent and he seems distant. When he doesn't come, when he doesn't show up at our town, Mary and Martha, we, the, the, we get stuck. But if we look back at verse 4, we see, though, that Jesus' immediate response, the very first and only thing that he said in verse 4 is this, this sickness will not end in death. That's all he said. This sickness will not end in death, but is for God's glory. Yeah, that's the part we're going to focus on. This sickness will not end in death. So this is the first thing, my first point. If you're a note taker, great. If you're not, um, you should be. So get your phone or paper out. Um, but this is the first thing that I want you to point out, that your problem is no match for the promise. Your problem, whatever it is, is no match for the promise. I know that um, your problem might not be the same as the sisters. Mine's not. About six years ago, 2014, about 2014, um, there was a lot going on in our world, in our life as a family. Um, Probably the first thing, uh, early on in the spring of 2014, there were some changes that started happening um, at, at Kevin's position on staff. Um, great things, incredible things, exciting stuff, but it, it was a change. It was different. It was a positional change um, at the church we were at. And um, so that was happening. And then um, I, we're raising two at the time, six years younger than they are now. So we're raising two little kids. I'm, I just tried to plow my way as best as I could through student teaching while also going through this transition, while also raising these kids, I'm trying to graduate and just get to the end of this. And uh, so I get to the end. I graduate. That's incredible. But now we got to make some choices. Like, what do, what do I do? Do I still be home and be mom? Do I go to work full time? I had options. I had offers. 
I had, I had things I could do, but um, we had some choices to make. And then um, about a month after that, we had the incredible opportunity to move Kevin's mom into our home and to grow our family that way. And all these things are fantastic. No, there was nothing wrong with anything that was happening. There was just a lot happening. And there was something that kind of turned in me at that point, and I didn't really know what it was. I couldn't put a, a, a label on it. I couldn't get a grip on what it was. Um, but later on, and after a couple doctor's appointments with different people, um, it was, I was a dermatologist of all people said, I, Melissa, I think that you should probably talk to your family doctor and um, like, just see what he thinks. Like, I, I think you have, a, like, some anxiety. No, I don't. <laughs> you don't know me. <laughs> no, no, I don't. Um, but then I actually I went to that doctor, and, and he basically said, like, yeah, like, textbook. Like, you are textbook, like, candidate for anxiety all these changes in a really short period of time and how you're feeling and what it's doing to you, um, you do. Okay. So over the last six years, like I said, none of those things were bad. There was nothing wrong with any of them. They were all incredible things. Um, but there's just been something that's just kind of happened inside of my heart, in my brain, in my mind. Um, and I don't, I don't know your thoughts um, on this whole, on this, uh, this topic. Um, but it, for me, it's really real. And God is dealing with me all the time because even six years later, it's still something that I struggle with um, on a pretty regular basis. So imagine how I felt this past week getting to do this. Um, but there have been verses that I've, there's been promises that I've read in God's word that in the middle of the night or trying to fall asleep at night, I, I just remember sometimes reciting over and over into my mind, God has not given me the spirit of fear, but of power, love. And this is the one that was it for me, a sound mind. Because that's what I needed. I need that. I need a sound mind. I need clear thoughts. I need Jesus to come and just settle everything that is trying to, to come out of me and rise to the top. This is one that's been recent. And actually, it's because a friend of mine, she's sitting right there, she shared this verse that someone else posted. And I think that it was for me, and she may not even know it. But Proverbs 3.26 in the Passion Translation says this, God is my confidence in times of crisis. Hello, COVID-19. Keeping my heart at rest in every, 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 every situation. Whatever your problem is, there's a promise. If you are weary, Isaiah 40, 29 says that he has strength for you. If you need freedom, John 8, 36 says that the Son sets you free indeed. If you lack wisdom, James 1, 5 says that if you ask for it, he will give it to you. If you feel alone, Deuteronomy 31, 8 says that he will never leave you or forsake you. If you feel tempted, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 and 14 says that he provides a way out. If you are afraid, John 14, 27 says he gives you his own peace. If I had more time, I would tell you more promises. But there is a book of 66 chapters and hundreds of pages that are full of them, that there is no match for your promise. Your problem is no match for the promise. And as I was walking with Kevin last night, as we do on the regular right now, we were walking, and I was just kind of, sometimes we walk and talk, and sometimes we walk, and we kind of both just think, like, to ourselves. And I was walking and thinking, and I was like, this is really interesting. Like, of all of the, is this the double entendre? That's the word, right? Of all the double entendres that there could be, like, this is, this is it. Like, because initially I'm thinking this, and I actually wrote this, this whole idea of a promise being, like, these words I just read you. 
right, those statements that Jesus tells us and that he gives us. But then I realized that not only is the promise, these words that we read, but the promise is, is the person of Jesus Christ and the gift that he is. He is a promise fulfilled. Your problem is no match for the promise. Let's keep going. From here, Jesus has a conversation with his disciples. So they're questioning him, okay? They're still, he still hasn't gone to Bethany yet. So they're questioning him and they're asking him, like, Jesus, like, why would you go back? Like, you know, we just came from not far from, I think it's like two miles. We came not far from there. And these people that are really close, these are the people that were trying to stone you. They were trying to arrest you. Why would you go back anywhere near there? So Jesus listens and he does what he, Jesus does. And then eventually he just says, okay, it's time to go back. Like, we're, we're going back. We're, we're, it's time to go see Lazarus. So they arrive at Bethany, and Jesus finds out that Lazarus is dead, and he has been for four days. This, now Martha's coming out to meet him. So we're going to keep reading verse 21. It says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know even now that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And for whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world. So they have this exchange, Mary, or, sorry, Martha and Jesus. And then Martha actually goes back home. She tells Mary that Jesus is out there. You should go. He wants you to meet. So Mar now Mary goes. Mary goes separately, and she, she goes to meet Jesus. And we read in verse 32, it says, When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So Mary and Martha finally both get what they've been waiting for. Like they've been waiting for Jesus to come and now he's here and they both have the most identical statement. Like literally they said the exact same thing to him. This friend of yours who you've been waiting for, who just got here, the very first thing that you said is basically a reprimand. Like you're telling him that you're frustrated because he wasn't there when you thought that he should have been, right? So, like, what kind of greeting is this? How, how did that make Jesus feel? I don't know. But I'm like, that would be like, can you just say hi? Like, I haven't seen you in a while. How are you? It's, we're so glad that you're finally here. But Jesus responds the same way to Martha as he did way back in verse, I think, 3. He responds with the exact same words. He says, this sickness will not end in death. There's that promise. The issue for them now here seems to be that he didn't give them the details of what he was going to do. He just repeated the very last statement that he had already told them before. He told to both of the sisters, said the exact same thing, this sickness will not end in death. This is where we struggle. This is where I struggle. I won't put this on you. This is where I struggle. We tend to have this ability to, like, acknowledge our problem, which sometimes is hard enough as it is. And then we can bring it to Jesus and even believe that there's promises for it in his word. We can believe that. But then when he doesn't come through right away, when he doesn't answer your, your request, when he doesn't solve your problem immediately, or when you think he should, or how you think he should, or the way that you think he should, this is when we start to doubt. And I think that's what was happening for Martha and Mary that day. When you still feel alone. What we talked about before, those promises for those, those, those problems, when you still feel alone, 
when you still struggle with that temptation, when you're still, when I'm still fighting for this freedom of my mind, when your kids still haven't come back to Jesus, whatever your problem is, we do exactly, exactly the same thing that Mary and Martha did, and we vocalize our frustrations to Jesus about what could have happened, what should have happened, what he could have done had he been here when we hoped and thought that he should have and would have. But Jesus wanted him to, re to realize this one thing. And I think it's the same thing that he wants us to remember to know today, and that's this, that the power that you need is not in the past. The power that you need is not in the past. Don't get stuck on his presence in the past, but in the power that is available right now. Right here, right now. In this conversation, we see here that Martha acknowledges Jesus' ability to keep Lazarus alive. And she acknowledges his authority to raise him from the dead in the end when we all go up to meet Jesus in the air. But the part that she was missing was the part that he said when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life, and I'm right here standing in front of you right now when I've told you the sickness will not end in death, and I am the resurrection and the life. Have you been reciting your problems to Jesus? These scenarios over in your mind about what you think he should have done or what he could have done, what you thought he would have done, what he needed to do? I do. The Bible says that he's the same yesterday, today and forever. So if he, had the, if he had the power to back up his promises then, that should be enough proof now that he has the same power available to you and to me to solve whatever our problem is, whatever our situation is. I'm trying to watch my time. We're going to get through this. Jesus asks Mary to take him to Lazarus, and they get to the tomb. We read in verse 38 and 39, it says, Jesus once more deeply moved to the tomb, came, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's now been in there for four days. Hold on. Four days ago, and all the way 38 verses ago, there's a problem that Mary and Martha have. They send Jesus a note, and they want him to come. They want him to know that the one that you love is sick. They send him this, they send him this note. He doesn't come immediately. They're frustrated that he doesn't come immediately, but then he comes. They meet him at the gate. They exchange words. He exchanges words with Martha. He comes, and he exchanges words with Mary, and he finally comes to the tomb, and he asks them, and he tells them what to do, and now they're worried about the stench on the other side of the stone? Jesus is here. He's here right now, and that's what you're worried about. That's what they were worried about. So at this point, there's two options. One, they can do what Jesus told them to do. They can move the stone and deal with whatever lies on the other side of it. Or two, they can walk away and miss the miracle. Can walk away and miss the miracle. I told you from the beginning, I told you in the spoiler alert that Jesus was eventually raised, or, sorry, Lazarus was eventually raised from the dead, so we know that they moved the stone. But this is the last thing that I want you to remember, or write down preferably. You will miss the miracle. You will miss your miracle if you stop at the stone. 
You'll miss your miracle if you stop at the stone. Mary and Martha would have missed the miracle. They would have missed their brother rising from the dead if they had stopped at the stone. If they were too worried about what was on the other side of the stone, the odor, the effort, the mess, the questions, the looks, like, what are you guys doing? This is crazy. What's going to, he's been dead for four days. According to Jewish, you know, whatever, the soul has, the soul left him yesterday. There's no hope. Look, why would they go? I get it. You'll miss your miracle if you stop at the stone. What do you mean by that, Melissa? I mean that whatever your part is in your problem, whatever God is asking you to do, whatever he's been leading you to do, whatever you've already been doing and doing and doing and waiting and doing, whatever that thing is, keep doing it. Moving the stone was the one thing in this whole story. It was the one thing that they could actually do themselves. They couldn't keep Lazarus alive, and they surely couldn't raise him from the dead. But they could be obedient, and they could move the stone. Could Jesus have moved the stone? Of course. Of course he could. But most of the time, God will only do the, he'll do the part that only he can do as long as you will do and as long as I will do the part that we can. So if your kids need salvation, keep praying for them. If you need freedom from anxiety, spend time with Jesus and talk to him and get real with him and get real with yourself and talk to a counselor, schedule an appointment with a therapist, whatever. If you feel alone, reach out to somebody and make some plans. Get involved at church. If your marriage is suffering, keep on forgiving. Do you need a job? Keep submitting resumes. Do the part that you can do so that you can move the stone and give God the opportunity to do the part that only he can do. Just don't stop at the stone. Don't stop at the stone. Don't stop at the stone. Whatever your problem. Again, I don't know your problem. I told you mine. I don't know your problem. Bring it to Jesus. Believe that there is a promise. Believe that Jesus is the promise. And know that he has power that is available to you right now. And don't stop at the stone. Jesus, God, we are uh, in desperate need of you in so many ways and on so many levels. And there are problems that exist in this room and, and in houses um, across Kansas City and across this nation, across this world. There are problems that we have, um, and we need you. We need your promise. We need your promises, and we need you as the promise keeper, as the fulfillment to a promise. Lord, we need you right now. God, and we believe and we know that your power just wasn't there and available in the past, but that it's here in the present and it is available to us. 
God, so God, I pray that you would do whatever it is that you do and however it is that you do these things. God, I pray that you would do just that in us right now. Lord, that, um, that we wouldn't be frustrated or that you would give us grace when we are, when we're frustrated, when you don't come, when we think that you should, when, we don't, when you don't do the things that we think that you should and how you should, whatever, that you would give us peace in the process of all of those things as we have confidence that you're working things out because we are the one that you love. God, and please, God, Jesus, help us do not, help us not to stop. Help us not to stop at the stone. Help us to be willing to push through and push past and push beyond whatever it is that we have to do to release your power. God, fill this place, Jesus. Fill us, fill our hearts. God, continue to do what only you can do. God, we ask these things in your precious name. Amen. prayers that this message impacted you. Please share your story and partner with us financially at newvisiongrandview.com.